we have to go back to the part where you <laughs> left the film to go to the bathroom. I'm so sorry. You're not. Uh, allowed, you're not supposed to do that. I, I took every preventative measure I could, and huh. it still didn't help. I, I I had to rush to the bathroom when it was over, but I do not leave films to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't either. I'm a man of my principles, but <laughs> that, that was one time I had to. This is Movie Bite, a show where we discuss, praise, lament, or sometimes even lampoon movies, TV shows, culture, and more. The show is hosted by me. I'm TJ Draper, and this is my co-host, Joseph Darnell of Movieology fame. How are Hi. you, Joseph? Hey, doing good. How are you, TJ? I'm doing well. Doing well. Thank you for having me back two weeks in a row. I feel special. Yes, well, you know, I, I thought about trying to find a different co-host after last week. I mean, I just I couldn't believe some of the stuff you were saying, but uh, there's nobody else, so I had to get you back. <laughs> so now we gotta we gotta talk about some of this stuff, man. Right. Well, you do have to put me back up on the uh, chopping block and determine whether or not I my predictions for The Dark Knight Rises came true. Yes. Or if um, they were completely wrong. Indeed. Ah, uh, so when did you see the movie? When did you see The Dark Knight Rises? I saw it Saturday afternoon at four o'clock Central Time. Central Time. Yes. Okay. I saw it at I think it was six fifteen Eastern Standard Time. Okay, so mm-hmm. five fifteen my time, right? Yeah, five fifteen yes. yours. Yep. So you were just a little bit behind me. And it, uh, man, wasn't that a long movie in a good way? But it, 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 it was long. long, but it never, and maybe because I was uh, expecting it after The Dark Knight Rises, I never thought, oh, is this movie over yet? I never I never had that yet. You said after The Dark Knight Rises. Do you mean The Dark Knight? I meant The Dark Knight. I, okay. I think I mentioned yeah. last week how horribly named these two movies are because they're so close together that you don't know which one. It's hard to say say the right one. I actually, in the editing last week, uh, our listeners didn't get to hear it because I edited myself, but I, I caught a couple of times where I said The Dark Knight, and I meant The Dark Knight Rises and vice versa. Mm. Um, so right. I think I successfully edited all those, but uh, <laughs> that was right. a little – it's a little frustrating. I listened to the episode. It sounded like uh, no mistakes that I could catch. Yeah, well, I think they're probably there, but, you know. Anyway. Well, yeah, I guess uh, setting out into our podcast what we're de- we determined to discuss today – we should probably fill the audience in. We uh, we decided that we do want to cover The Dark Knight Rises. It's it's probably going to be a significant film this year, probably. So you think? Yeah, yeah. I think I think we should probably discuss it. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking we probably should. You, you know, going into it, we discussed what our expectations were last episode. We talked about Batman, uh, the Batman Begins, and The Dark Knight. The things that we really admired about those films, a couple of the things that we disliked, uh, some things about the whole Batman mythos. I think we had a great show there, and I think it's important that if uh, some of our audience is just listening to this episode and wanted to skip the first one, they should probably go back. And I, I won't push every episode onto our listeners, but I really do think that if you're going to appreciate what we have to say about The Dark Knight Rises, you want to know what we said about the other two. Yeah, I agree. I mean, uh, you can push our shows. I don't care. <laughs> All right. uh, yeah, so that'll that'll be, of course, at moviebyte.com slash mbpodcast slash one, our first episode. And I think we really did have uh, great, expe- uh, great expectations. Of course, we had great expectations, but we had a great episode there. Um, so 
uh, it, I was really pleased with how that turned out. Yes. So, but, but Lord willing, you know, this episode will be shorter. Just a little bit. Yes, that was some of the feedback we got was, hey, you know, loved it, but we'd like for it to be a little shorter. And you have to understand, uh, I'm coming from, and I know you're coming from, Joseph, uh, we listen We listen to a lot of 5 by 5 podcasts. Well, not just 5 by 5 podcasts, but podcasts in general. Yeah, and uh, I, I, I was telling my a friend of mine who listened to this uh, last week's show, I cannot remember a t- the last time I listened to a podcast that was under an hour. Um, so <laughs> yeah. that's kind of what we're used to, but we will try to keep it a little shorter this week. Um, we'll, we'll try to do that. So we should, we should just mention briefly, Joseph, the, um, the shooting that happened in Colorado. It's a, definitely a horrible tragedy. I don't want to spend too much time on it. Um, right. It's, it's pretty sad and, and I don't want to, don't want this, don't want this to be a downer, but we should say something about it. And, uh, you know, I, I know that I, uh, certainly am just, uh, heartbroken over the, over it. I mean, and, and that someone would take this film that, that we were so looking forward to and, and, and do that to it and, and use it as an excuse to, to commit such a horrible atrocity. It was just kind of, uh, I was kind of dumbstruck about it. It put a little bit of a dampener on the experience of going to the movies for this film. I know that while I was at the theater, it certainly felt that some of the people there were, I don't want to say on edge, but they were more sober. Yeah. They were more sober than their usual behavior as everyday people just going to the movies. There were a number of guards at the entrance and uh, it seemed like the staff, there were more on staff than usual in my local theater uh, taking care of business. So I, I, I can definitely see some initial rippling effects. Yeah. Yeah, it was definitely one of those things that just sort of hits you in the gut when you heard about it. It's like, how how can somebody do that? Of course, you know, I say, how can somebody do that? And I read several good articles uh, on it this past week, you know, talking about how the media was asking, how does somebody do that? Why do you think he did that? Well, hello, sin. Um, so <laughs> this, yeah, is, this well, is what people yeah, do. There's, there's a lot of great resources as to why some people would do such a thing. But um, yeah. in general, I can understand the public's general aversion to addressing topics like these. And it's healthy to a degree, I think, for the culture not to be too familiar with the ways of a psychotic. No, no, I agree. I agree. And I do wonder. I mean, I do wonder, despite the fact that I believe in total depravity, I do wonder sometimes, how does someone do that? I mean, I just can't imagine how you take a gun and start shooting people. I just just Mm -hmm. don't get it. And I'm 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 pro gun and all that stuff, but I just don't get. So it's not like I'm I'm like oh you know guns are bad. I don't even see how you could use one. But it's just how could you shoot another human being? I don't get it. Right. So. Well, then you know it's, what's also interesting to me is that that is has your opinion is totally valid, but it's the opinion of a lot of people going in to watch a film like The Dark Knight Rises, and it's ironic to me that people express. Uh, a lot of um, confusion or bewilderment by the event, and yet they seem to get a film like Dark Dark Knight Rises, and they 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 feel like you know I actually have heard from a variety of critics, directors, writers, and actors that they have an easier time relating to villains than they do to heroes, hmm. and in uh, fr- it's actually come up in relation to superhero films that. You know, it's easier for an actor to play a very wicked villain than it is for an actor to play a very good, good guy. It's one of the reasons why Superman films have struggled 
in the last you know two decades. Well, it, for our audience, um, there's actually been several films that were almost produced, you know, telling a story about Superman. Mm-hmm. But then inevitably they were shut down because for one reason or another, a lot of the actors and the producers said that they were uh, they were just unable to imagine telling a story about a hero so good that they they didn't know how to make him believable. Well, no, I actually understand that though. I've I've often said and this is why I think I, why Superman is not my favorite superhero is it's hard to tell good stories about the guy. I mean, because he's so – I I prefer a conflicted hero. Not to say that I like bad heroes or heroes that aren't actually heroes. But uh, I think Batman is a pretty good example of this, although he gets a little dark sometimes. But he he's human, um, yeah. and so we can relate to that. And he makes mistakes, and he has a dark side, but he ultimately wants to do what's right. And I think all of us can relate to that more than I can relate to that more than I can a villain, for instance, because a villain, mm-hmm. he wants to do something, he wants to do what's bad. And I don't understand that at all. Where the hero, although he makes mistakes like we do, he wants to do what's right. And Batman is, he wants to do what's right for Gotham. Right. And that, that came through, especially that was addressed in the uh, Batman begins very well. I, I, I th- don't think that uh, any other previous Batman film, those by Tim Burton and the others d- made during the nineties and the, yeah, you know, they just didn't seem to cover uh, a good motivation for Bruce, Bruce Wayne. He was yeah. just this guy who this is what he does. You know, it's very two dimensional. Agreed. Which brings us, I guess, to oh wow, full circle back around to this movie, and wow, going into this movie, our our expectations. We kind of talked about our expectations in the last story or last episode, but I, I guess I wanted to just reiterate um, my primary expectation was that, uh, first of all, that Nolan, as a director who has directed these three films about Batman and many other very clever films in his career, he's loaded with surprises. So I expected this film to be loaded with surprises. Mm-hmm. And my other high expectation was that it would be the best of these three Batman movies. Those were my two main expectations. I was going to be surprised by some twists in the story and two, that it would be the best of the three. Um, I didn't really try to set up any other expectations and those two were, those two were lofty enough. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> Yeah. I, don't, I don't remember if I spelled out my expectations quite that way in the previous episode. Um, I I actually tried to lower my expectations because it is uh, – it's, and it's hard to do because Nolan, is a, as I've said, is a great filmmaker and a great storyteller and you expect great things from the guy and he's built up the expectation with two really great movies. But I tried to – look. okay, this is the third. This is a trilogy, the third in a trilogy – Eh, maybe never that great. So try to lower my expectations, and and I, you know, I did enjoy the Dark Knight Rises. I I, I very much enjoyed it, um, and so that was good. And I, I I don't know if that can be attributed to my trying to lower my expectations, um, or if it, it just again it's a really good film, and I think it is a really good film. Something you read um, before we started the show today, and uh, we briefly discussed was how Christopher Nolan looked back on these three films and their making. Something he said was how he never figures that a sequel is going to live up to the first film in a series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I get that. 
And I actually, it's nice to hear it coming out of Christopher Nolan that he actually had his doubts at the outset with The Dark Knight. Uh, a yeah. lot of people regard as the best of the three. And they, and they, they just say it's hands down. It's, it's obvious. That is the best film. Um, I, it's not my favorite. I can, but I can certainly see why um, if you try to be objective as best as humanly possible, and that's not very, very possible. But if you try, it's easy to see why The Dark Knight it would be considered the best. But with Christopher Nolan, again, he reiterated that in going into the third film, he said that sequels of sequels are prone to be even less good. And so he, he, he believes and he not acknowledges this uh, tendency in trilogies. And we could – I mean you, you, you name a trilogy. It's very rare when you feel like the third comes into its own very well. Uh, even the Lord of the Rings trilogy – um, the the original Star Wars trilogy. Yes, I I know. I'd, I'd have to disagree of, with you on Lord of the Rings, but uh, third movie is probably my favorite. But anyway, okay. <laughs> I I, I uh, you know now that you mention it, at different times since the Lord of the Rings came out, I felt like each of the three films at a different time was my favorite of the three. <laughs> interesting, interesting. Yeah. I don't know. I haven't really made up my mind about that, but I know some people that feel strongly that third one's the best. I, I'm just not I, that I sure. Feel pretty strongly about it. Mm. Now, then, what about the the Indiana Jones? It seems like that's another good toss up about you trilogies. Know, in, Indiana Jones is interesting. I I remember watching it when I was younger. You know, my dad was into Indiana Jones and uh, loved the films, and I I remember watching them when I was younger. I don't remember a lot about them. And so I thought recently, uh, before Crystal Kingdom of the Crystal Skull came out, which oh my goodness, we need to have a whole podcast about how horrible that movie was. Um, yes, let's. Uh, so we'll get to that in a later episode. But so the original, I thought, well, I should I should watch these, uh, and I still can't remember what order they go in or exactly which happened and which thing. I, I don't know. They weren't that memorable to me, um, or something. I just I, and it's been several years now since I've seen them again. So. Um, like I said, it was before Crystal Skull came out. I don't remember when that was, and it had been a little bit before that came out. Uh, so I, I couldn't really tell you. I, I don't know. Hmm. I was oh, never. I, I, I never found them that compelling. Really, I, I just you know. I know that that's probably heresy to some people. But. <laughs> yeah, well, I I guess I'm one of those people. I I, did, I never felt passionately about the Temple of Doom, the first. When it took a while for it to grow on me. Now I feel very, very good about it. I enjoy mm. the first one. The third one I feel like is just absolutely fantastic. But um, in some ways, it got, it got away with being campy and be, doing a great job of it. <laughs> All of those films. There is I, one. There is one particular scene I remember. You'll have to tell me which movie it is. It's in um, where. Uh, I want to say Han Solo, but that's not his name. Um, <laughs> Harrison Ford. Harrison Ford. Uh, he's he's standing there, and the guy like he's doing the, he's holding these swords, I think, and he's waving them all around in the air. <laughs> and Harrison Ford just shoots him, and it's such a great scene. And I, I learned at some point that that scene came about because Harrison Ford was actually sick, and he was supposed to do this whole thing and, <laughs> and, and fight with him, and he just he didn't feel like it, so he pulled out the gun and shot him, and the actor went with it, and so that was what made it into the movie. <laughs> Yeah, that is one of the most classic scenes of probably all film history. And yeah, it was uh, not one planned by the writers and the directors. 
Uh, anyway, anyway, getting back to the the Dark Knight Rises, I had one other expectation going in, or uh, I guess this is more of a hope. You know, a good trilogy ties in well with the sequel and the very first film. I feel this way about the Toy Story trilogy. Um, totally different kind of film for a moment, but just you know, it seems to me a lot of the audience would agree that the third Toy Story film really is a oh wow it just it brought so many themes back together and expanded on them so well i would say the third toy story is like a um one in a million because i actually like it better than the previous two and i like the previous two and i like the first toy story so much and i thought i went into the theater with toy story 3 going there's no way that it's going to be as good and it was better yeah it was amazing i guess I guess, uh, though I, I I I probably am overlooking a few other trilogies. As far as trilogies are concerned, the third Toy Story I think was the best third installment of a trilogy I can think of. But you know what? What uh, unless I unless I don't have some invi- inside information, you know what it has in in common with Batman is that I don't think the makers of Toy Story, just like the make, just like Nolan, did not intend to do a sequel. Did not intend to do sequels. Um, yes. and, and they both of the, both the creators at Pixar and Nolan approach it as what story is there to tell? How can we tell a good story? Not how can we tell a good three stories or whatever? Right. Um, if and they I, don't feel that they have material there, they're not going to waste their t- time making the film just simply to bring in some bucks. Exactly. And so that's that's one of the great things about Nolan. I have to say is just. Uh, you know, you even heard early on, was there going to be a Batman, a third Batman? Uh, we don't know because no one doesn't know. Yeah. So. Hmm. I hadn't thought about that before. It To me, it seemed like a shoe-in. Uh, not actually paying attention to filmmaking at the time when the Batman Begins film was out. I, w- I just saw the ending and Christopher Nolan's comments aside – it's like, oh, come on. Obviously, they're going to have a sequel, and the main villain is going to be the Joker. They introduced the Joker by his calling card with Commissioner Gordon handing that off to Batman to run off and, assumably, nab the Joker at the end of the Batman Begins film. Yes, but it, it was and, and, a, and we won't spoil it yet. We're going to get to spoilers later in the episode, but they did kind of the same thing here, in my opinion, with this movie, and we'll talk about what that is later. But yes, yes, in the spoiler part of the show. But yeah, you're right. Uh, they they kind of did it as well at the end of the second film. But oh, yeah, that's remind, uh, that's remind me how they did that the in the second film. In the second film, it was much more subtle. They implicated that the the that Batman was going to have to run from the police. Oh, okay, I see what you mean. And so he would have to clear his name with the police. Gotcha. Somehow he would have to reconcile the fact that Commissioner Gordon was lying on his behalf. Mm, right. Yeah, that, that that's that's moral ambiguity. That's well, that's a lot. You know what? What's interesting that I had never considered before was the impact that this was going to have on Gordon. Uh, he, yes, I, I'd considered it all, he's lying for Batman. He's, but then as I thought about it some more, I thought, you know, not only is he lying for Batman and saying Batman's the bad guy, but he's saying Harvey Dent's the good guy. And, and it's, it, for a second you're like, well, sure. But then you think, oh, this man tried to murder his family. 
uh, and he's holding him up as the good guy. That that's got to be hard for that man to do. Right. Well, not just lying uh, in relation to something that involved his family, but having to lie, knowing that his son was right there, knows what really transpired. Yeah. And he's observing his father just lie through his teeth yeah. uh, because it's for the ultimate good. That introduced a lot of uh, – let me back up here. The Batman Dark Knight introduced a lot of moral ambiguity and then it didn't address those issues. The Dark Knight Rises came back in and said, okay, we're not going to leave it hanging where Commissioner Gordon is just a liar and he thinks that that's okay for the greater good. Ultimately, he is convicted about that. He wants to make it right. And he delays, he puts it off until it's too late. And by then, he is ultimately, you know, he has to reconcile that issue. But that's, uh, don't want to give anything away at this point. But yeah, that that is something, this film, uh, you want to talk about how we feel about this film now? Um, not, I mean, without giving away any specifics. Yeah, I, I think we should. Okay, good. Wow. The Dark Knight Rises. Very powerful film. Mm-hmm. Epic. A terrific ensemble film. You know, the Avengers film recently got a lot of attention because it, it was a great ensemble story. And those are so few and far between these days. The Batman series is, as a whole, a great ensemble trilogy. Kind of like uh, Lord of the Rings in that regard as yeah. well. And and it didn't get any attention in that regard, you know, people are focusing on a lot of other characteristics. And then, you know, Josh Ween, jo- sorry, Josh Ween, he, he does deserve a lot of respect for what he did for the Avengers. Yeah, agreed. But then Nolan comes along and he's been doing it these last three, uh, all, the, all these three films. Yeah, well, I'm, I'm just looking over the uh, cast and crew of on, on IMDb of The Dark Knight Rises. You've got Christian Bale, Gary Oldman, Tom Hardy, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, Anne Hathaway, Morgan Freeman, Michael Caine. I mean, these are not unknown actors. And and, and so, you, you, you to some extent, you know, it, you have to have a good director to manage that many personalities. Uh, yeah, I think he's done a great job. And the movie excelled at even introducing minor characters. There was at least one in this film that had not been shown in previous films. There's two, sorry, two film, sorry, two characters that I know were introduced into this film and came into their own and they have a conclusion. They have a complete arc to their story. But these were minor characters. Uh, so yeah, terrific in that regard. Uh, what were some of your thoughts? Yeah, I mean, I would I would agree that it was definitely um, an epic conclusion to an epic trilogy. Uh, it, it just it did in many ways live up, I think, to the expectations of uh, it. Didn't let us down a lot. Uh, we can talk about some of my disappointments when we get into the spoiler section, but uh, for for the most part, I mean, there. I, I, like I told somebody, in fact, uh, a friend of mine, uh, Cole, texted me. Right after the movie, he knew when I was going to watch. He knew about when it'd be over, and he said, "Well, what'd you think?" And I just texted back, "Hmm." And so he texted me back. He's like, "If you say anything other than it was great, I will turn my back on you and never look back," you know, or something like that. <laughs> and I, I texted back, "I didn't say it wasn't great. I, you know, I'm still trying to digest it, man. Give me a minute." Uh, uh, but yeah, there is a lot there to digest, and uh, and know, I think that everybody is going to feel that way watching this film and then leaving the theater. Once you've seen it, you'll realize what we're talking about. Yeah. 
Yeah, so when we get to my uh, the things that I didn't like about the film, which I have a list, and we'll talk about those, but don't don't take that to mean that I don't recommend the film or or don't didn't like the film because I certainly did, and and uh, I will I will own it on Blu-ray and I will watch it again, you know. Uh, so yeah, I think that it definitely met my hopes and dreams. Um, it ne- didn't necessarily excite me though as much as I had anticipated, uh, like The Dark Knight did. Um, there were less surprises on the whole from what I was anticipating with Christopher Nolan. I, you know, he's terrific. Think about Memento and The Prestige, these yeah. other films. Inception, everybody was talking about it for months and months and months after that film came yeah. out. In fact, there wasn't much I was surprised by at all. And and I even, it's not like I went out and tried to find these things out. Oh, what do you think he's doing? And participated in boards and, and stuff. And like, what do you think he's doing with this character? And how do you think this is going to go? I didn't, I mean, but I still, I would say, you know, a few minutes into the film, I had some things figured out that I was like, yep, sure enough. Um, mm-hmm. so, you know, and so as far as, you know, if, and I know a lot of people watch movies looking for originality and they usually define originality as something that they frankly could not predict or it's something that they haven't seen before in a film. So when it happens, they don't go, aha, oh, I know where that, that idea came from. I know where the director got that idea. Um, yeah, that, that was taken from another film, you know. Yeah, and I don't buy into that whole mentality. Yeah, me neither. Me neither. Don't watch films like that. You're just, it's, you're, you're just a killjoy. Right. Well, there's uh, there's a reason there's a reason why films are made in a certain way. I mean, we talked about this a little last episode. There's a reason why certain things are convention is because they work and they work well. Mm. You know. Uh, uh, now, here's another positive trait that I really appreciated about this film. I was hoping that they would address issues that are, had arisen in the second film. And that they would also address things from the Batman Begins film. I wanted this to feel like all one part of the same whole. The Dark Knight really didn't delve much into a tie-in with the the Batman Begins film. It almost felt episodic at times. Hmm. Like like it was independent. Like you could have just started watching The Dark Knight and ignore sorry, yeah, ignored Batman Begins. If you had cared to, I wouldn't mm, recommend it. No, I don't know if I'd agree with that completely. <laughs> I, I, as a fan, I really don't recommend it. But the truth is going into the dark Knight, you know, the characters, you know, most of them, and then they'll reintroduce them at least once. Ah, commissioner Gordon or Lieutenant Gordon. How are you doing, sir? You know, that, that kind of thing. Right. So even my mom, she didn't need to see the Batman begins before watching the dark Knight. Uh, and you know she and, she and the reason I say that she had actually seen Batman Begins, but when going to see The Dark Knight, she couldn't remember it. She mm. couldn't remember it at all. So in watching it, she wasn't lost. She got it. But then this film, it said, you know, you, know, you, you don't watch The Dark Knight Rises without having a lot of good previous knowledge about the previous two. Yeah, well, I mean, it really, it really does. Uh... If I can do this without being too spoilerific, it really does build on themes really built up in the Dark Knight. Uh, you know, you're, mm-hmm. you're seeing the culmination of all that happened in the Dark Knight, um, and 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 even even Batman Begins uh, with his training and stuff. You're really kind of seeing the culmination of all that. So, I, yeah, I would agree with that. Uh, now, here's just a another point I want to make. Our ultimate nitty gritty details, detailed criticisms, and you know, 
praises for this film aside, there's just one other question I have about this film. I, I've seen a couple other summer films, the films expected to be big splashes. And what I'm asking myself is, where would I put this among the best films of the summer? Or should I say the uh, of the best films of the year thus far? And though there, there have been some good moments in cinema, I feel confident in saying, although the Spider-Man film was very good, and I am looking forward to seeing it again, I honestly think that this film has been the best film of 2012 thus far. I, I, I mean, it's just, it was a really super engaging film. It was hard to beat as far as summer blockbuster films were concerned. Those in theaters right now, um, those that have already gone, I felt better about this film than the Avengers. And that's saying a lot because mm-hmm. I, I thought that that was a terrific film. What do you think? Yeah. I mean, uh, yeah, I, I, I was trying, I was just trying to look for the article I read earlier today that talked about how much better it did than any other movie so far this summer by leaps and bounds, how much more money it made than Spider-Man. Uh, I can't find it now. Um, I'll have to look that up. But uh, yeah, I feel pretty confident in saying it's going to be the best movie of the year. Pretty confident. Hmm. Well, it's already uh, estimated that in the box office, the Dark Knight has earned um, $2,500 million. And uh, for perspective, the Spider-Man film twenty five hundred or two hundred fifty, two hundred and fifty million. Sorry, yeah. Well, here, here, here we are. Yeah, it is. Uh, the Spider-Man film has grossed two hundred, uh, yeah, two hundred million. So it's been out longer and made less than um, than Batman uh, than the Dark Knight Rises has made opening weekend. And I'm sure there is a different, uh, you know, target audience. There's different tastes among oh, among sure. the audience members. Uh, and that's not to, yeah, that's not to say that it's not a successful movie. But but this right. is a you know this is just putting dark, the Dark Knight Rises into perspective. Right. <laughs> oh wow. Yeah. Okay. We'll, we'll I, I I want to get the spoilers. I I don't want to yet. I want okay, to talk about some more good points. Okay. Yeah, go ahead. You want to talk about a few more good highlights about the film on the whole. I mean, we've kind of covered what our expectations were, what we were, um, how, how we feel about it now. I kind of, I want to talk about some of the good other aspects before we get into the spoilers. You know, uh, I just want to whet people's appetite a bit. Okay. Um, I thought initially it wrapped up the trilogy very well. Yeah, I mean, as far as as far as all that goes, you, you have yeah, I've seen trilogies wrapped in a much worse way, and 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 certainly this, I I there were some things I would have wished to have seen differently, but you really I really can't complain too much because uh, you, huh. you you've seen some really bad endings to some trilogies, and this wasn't one of them. Oh yeah, ah <laughs> uh, wow, I would say even uh, classics like the Back to the Future films, even the ending of the third film wasn't really that satisfying. Oh, well, nor- the, the third film as a whole was the, the worst of the three, of course. I mean, it's kind of the way trilogies go. <laughs> yeah. I felt, oh, man. I felt like the second and the third films were about tied for second place. Really? See, yeah. I, I would say first film was good, second film maybe even better, and third film, yeah. Huh. Yeah. Okay, well, then, in relation to The Dark Knight Rises, it, Here's the reason why I think this was so good. It was it was the other end of a book. 
this trilogy is kind of like Lord of the Rings in that it's all one story. They, they, they kind of work as separate epics, but each one is begging to know about the other. Um, the, the Dark Knight, great, but it doesn't actually give you all that much in regards to Batman's character himself. The Batman is almost uh, a side character to the Joker. And we really get to to know the Joker very well, and we get to know other good characters as well, like a commi- you know the Lieutenant Gordon. I think he was a, a lieutenant at the time. He got, and, he got promoted to commissioner when he came back to life. <laughs> oh, okay, yeah. And then um, yes, there was Harvey Dent. You know, a ter- a terrific character introduced as well. So they kind of stole a lot of the attention away from Bruce Wayne, and I really like Bruce Wayne's character. So if you want him to get a lot of attention. Check out Batman Begins. Mm-hmm. In this third film, it, did it seem to you that the attention wasn't concentrated on the villain or on the good guy, but on the city of Gotham? There was a lot of attention focused on the city of Gotham, definitely. And that's why it worked as a fairly balanced uh, ensemble story. And in regards to that ensemble quality again, it didn't feel like ensemble stories like the Avengers. It felt more akin to classic ensemble stories. Uh, I I forget where I read it, but somebody, an earlier critic that reviewed this film, he pointed out that the film actually seemed to borrow a lot of ideas from old-fashioned epics from like the 40s and the 50s. Mm. And I would have to agree with him. Very subtle, perhaps, but things that were – clearly influential in Christopher Nolan's approach to this film. If you're more familiar with older films, you'll, you'll get what we're talking about. And then uh, it was also impressive to watch the actors mature in their ability in this film. I don't know about you. You recently watched the other, these, uh, the Batman begins and the dark Knight. So, so you tell me, did it seem to you that although all three of these films were fairly well cast, that they the actors' performances got better and better with each installment. I felt that way. I don't know if I felt that way. I mean, I felt like the, the actors' performances were all good in all the films. I don't know that I noticed a point where I would say it was better than at another time. I felt that in this film, the characters that were just getting introduced – had a hard time living up to characters or actors' performances that had been in the previous two films. But even so, they did a good job. And then those that had been in all three films did a terrific job of refilling the role and mm. living their roles in a completely different time of the storyline. This film it was uh, supposed to happen, what was it, eight years, eight years. after eight years. The Dark Knight? Correct. Which uh, throws you for a loop for a second when you're watching it because it's like, holy cow, Alfred has not aged a day. <laughs> well, although he's one, he's at that age now where you know it's hard, it's hard to see his age, I suppose. Yeah, uh, but what but, I mean is Alfred essentially looked like he was the same age when uh, Bruce Wayne was a little boy at the beginning of the Batman Begins film. <laughs> well, yeah, I mean, I suppose that's yeah. <laughs> I, I wanted to go back to something you said. Uh, you said you felt like that the new actors, you know, they did as well as they could. Or something like that, but maybe not quite as as good. I I don't know about some of the other new actors. Well, no, I, I you know even Joseph Gordon Levitt I think did a great job in his role. But Anne Hathaway, you know, as Catwoman's performance was just you know incredible. 
Yes. Uh, Bane uh, performed by Tom Hardy. Uh, that guy had his both arms tied behind his back in, in this role. Because, well, maybe, yeah, have you ever tried to act with a mask on? I mean, I can't act in any capacity, <sighs> but uh, acting with a mask on, I understand, is very, very difficult, and he did very well. Well, not just that. I mean, there's a couple of things that make the performance of Bane much more difficult than, say, even a, a character like Batman, you know, and who, who is also wearing a mask. Uh, Tom Hardy is wearing a mask. It wraps all over his head, but in a very peculiar way. But then besides that, he has to bulk up and be a big brute. Uh, it just He has to be a muscular guy, bald and, you know, exposing the shoulders and showing his huge biceps by his general appearance. He looks more like a thug than a real, a real contending villain that is very intelligent. Right. And the the reason I say this is not because, uh, he didn't show himself to be a very, uh, influential villain, you know, a very clever guy, very intelligent in the film. But movies have trained us to uh, – we're conditioned to believe that these uh, big brutes are generally speaking, they're just they're just you know cronies. They're just uh, henchmen for some other criminal mastermind, some skinnier, less muscular criminal mastermind at the top. It's the big brutes that are just dumb but they have a lot of muscle. Mm-hmm. And so with Tom Hardy's role, he, he totally – abolishes that you know that um t- stereotype the bane in this film he seems very intelligent and you can appreciate that intelligence it comes through all the time he's not just a big thug and then another quality about him was that it, well his voice distortion that uh, i personally think that that probably makes acting much more difficult yeah, I think so. Although I had seen Tom Hardy in one of the movie, I have uh, no. Actually, I saw him in Inception. Of course, I forgot about that. But uh, I got I was familiar with him from Star Trek Nemesis, uh, and so I I could hear Tom Hardy's voice even through the distortion sometimes. So. Remind us who he was in the Star Trek Nemesis. He was Shinzon, which was a clone of Captain Picard. That the Romulans had had cloned Picard. They had stolen his DNA at some point when he wasn't looking, and uh, and cloned Picard. It was an interesting idea, and and Tom Hardy did as well as he could with it. Um, and I I actually like the movie. Okay, not I, a lot of Star Trek fans hate it, um, hmm. but but yeah, that that was his role, and so he he played a, a young Captain Picard, only hardened by the, his pr- uh, prison camp labor and those sorts of things. Huh. Okay, so what what were some other highlights for you? I'd like I'd well, love to know. I mean, I, come I, on. I mean, it's uh, it's gonna be hard it's, for me to do without spoiling it. Are you ready to move into spoiler territory? <laughs> I, I don't have anything mm-hmm. else if we can't talk about spoilers yet. Ah, okay, all right, all right. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we're sorry, but maybe pause the show, watch the film, and come back. Yeah, right if you after. haven't if you haven't seen it, shame on you. Why are you even listening to this podcast? <laughs> <laughs> Go see it, and yeah. I'm gonna come back and listen. Um, it's a good film, and we highly recommend it. Yeah, you're making us work too hard yeah, yeah. trying to avoid the spoilers, so go check it out. Yeah, so the stuff that – I mean um, I, I agree with you on, with Bane. Like he was a um, he was a very smart villain, but you know, obviously very uh, – I mean like Batman couldn't beat him up at first. I mean he, he couldn't phase him at all. I mean he was very big and strong, and uh, but yet you didn't get the sense that he was just a brute, definitely. And and there needed to be, I think, a strong villain to follow up Ledger's performance as the Joker. Um, 
Hmm. And, yeah, and, and how did you feel though he compared? Uh, he didn't. I mean, you know, you, you can't really compare to the Joker. Okay, but, but, see, but that's the thing. Like you just said, I I'm sorry. I I set up a trap. You fell into it, and now I'm going to point this out to you. I honestly don't think that you should compare Bane as a character to the Joker. I'm not because. They, they are apples and oranges, but a I, lot of people are. A lot of people are because they, because he, you know, it's this assumption that it was one of the expectations. Somehow, Bane and Catwoman would be able to top the Joker because the Joker topped Ra's al Ghul, the villain in the first film. It's just the assumption that things only get better and better and make it more challenging for the director. And you know, our expectations for Christopher Nolan are already very high because we're still on a high from Inception. Yeah, well, I guess what I'm talking about, though, is regardless, I mean, no, Bane wasn't the Joker, and there are ways in which he he was not as evil, and maybe other ways in which he was more evil, but you, you have to have uh, a strong follow-up somehow, and I felt like he filled that role. He was a pretty strong follow-up to yeah. the Joker. Yeah, he um, was. I, I would say he was a, a, a somehow a more menacing villain than Ra's al Ghul. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, while we're talking about Ra's al Ghul, uh, I, I it was just it struck me. Liam Neeson had one scene in this movie, and that whole the reason that scene existed was to misdirect people about the film before it came out. <laughs> Dude, yeah. That's the only reason that scene exists. There's no you you could do the movie without it pretty easily. Hmm. Yeah, I would agree. Um, because uh, as it turned out, uh, while watching the film. It was the previous scene where I I can I told myself uh, I have no idea how long I've been watching this movie, but I've got to go use the restroom. <laughs> so it was right at that moment I went to the restroom. I come back and I see the scene where Ra's al Ghul, played by Liam Neeson, is shouting at Bruce Wayne, who's all beaten up and worn out, and then he vanishes in thin air. And I was like, okay, what was that? And what just happened? And then for the rest of the film, it was like completely irrelevant. I had no idea what that scene was about, and I could totally live without it. We have to go back to the part where you <laughs> left the film to go to the bathroom. I'm so sorry. You're not, uh, allowed, you're not supposed to do that. I, I took every preventative measure I could, and huh. it still didn't help. I, I, I had to rush to the bathroom when it was over, but I do not leave films to go to the bathroom. <laughs> I don't either. I'm a man of my principles, but <laughs> that, that was one time I had to. Anyway, yeah, so I thought that was pretty interesting that Nolan would – I mean I, I can't think of another reason why he would be in the film other than to really misdirect people before they go into the film about what the film's about, what what you think you might be seeing. And, well, his, Liam Neeson's in the film. You know, of course, we're going to – somehow Ra's is not dead or something or there's going to be lots of flashbacks. And and it didn't even really make any sense. Like Ra's came to uh, to Bruce in a dream and, and told – told him that Bane was his son, which, again, spoilers, turns out not to be even true, but right. uh, but close to the mark. <laughs> so, yeah, it's just very interesting that, that, that he did that. And I, I actually, I thought that was pretty pretty cool that he did that. <laughs> you know, a very tricky thing about um, IMDb was that the week before the film was released, I checked out the IMDb details on The Dark Knight Rises, and Liam Neeson playing the role as Ra's al Ghul was listed second in the casts under Christian Bale. 
and yeah, I mean, <laughs> he has you, such a you fleeting scene. Exactly. You see, you see the irony there. Yeah, I mean, he was ahead of Gary Oldman. You know, it was Christian Bale, Tom Hardy, Liam Neeson. You know, I was like, what? what? And then if yeah. you if you look at it now. I imagine that the data on IMDb must be influenced by uh, activity by the users on the site or something. I, I would I'm think not positive. So. I think I think it must be because if you go there now, if you look at the full cast and crew list, uh, he's not listed on the top like twenty. He's not listed. Well, because he's got one scene in the movie and he's a vision. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, uh, yeah. Oh, that's right. We are exposing uh, spoilers now. I almost forgot about that. Yes. <laughs> I was like, oh, what are you doing? <laughs> yes. Okay. But so, yes. um, I really liked the idea. I, I really, uh, and we'll get we'll get to this in a minute. That I I didn't like that we went we were down. We came back up. We went down. We came back up. I felt like it was too much bumping around. But I did like uh, Batman. We saw him lose everything we thought in the previous film, but we didn't see him lose everything. Because now all of a sudden, Batman, Bruce Wayne is not a billionaire anymore or a millionaire or whatever he was. He's lost all his money. He's lost everything. He has nothing anymore. They were going to let him keep the mansion, but then we find out they even turned off his electricity. He can't even really, what good is a mansion if you have no electricity to run it? Um, and, and so I like that because you get to see, okay, yeah, Batman, he's great and he operates with all this money and all these uh, super special secret you know stuff that he has. Uh, can he, can he do without all that? You know? So I liked that idea, although I don't know how well that was fulfilled. I liked that idea. Mm, yeah. Uh, I guess now, since we are in the spoiler section, I'm free to discuss some of the things I thought that were, uh, not as good. I mean, I, I guess I just want to preface this by saying that I didn't feel that anything about this film was flat out bad. But I felt that there were some I things I didn't like the way they were executed. There was one huge, uh, just, oh, wow, character mishap involving Bruce Wayne being inconsistent with his character. You, you want to go ahead and talk about yours? You seem very strong about them. Uh, no, I mean, I've been. Okay, sure. <laughs> I, I, I'd like, I'd like I, to, I know, I know where you're going, though, so we can talk about this. What is up with Bruce sleeping with Miranda? What yeah, and, what was yes. that? Okay, we know that that Bruce Wayne slash Batman is this rich guy and and likely one, has no qualms with sleeping around with people. Like we don't get any moral sense. Uh, you know, you and I would would have problem with that morally. We're Christians and we think that's wrong. We don't get any sense that Bruce Wayne has that same feeling. At the same time, we know that he loved Rachel very much. Yes, the first two of the films made that very clear how dedicated he was to her, even when she had no reason to believe that he was faithful, in a sense, to their friendship. Right. And yet, we have no – I never got the impression at any time that he ever spend any time in bed with Rachel. No. And yet, he falls into bed at the first opportunity with Miranda? And Miranda is a completely different kind of figure of society. Yes, and he has to put so much trust in her that he just can't. Uh, what uh, he just he just gave her the keys to Wayne Industries, you know Wayne Enterprises, and so well, I guess they'll sleep together, huh? Yeah, no, it's crazy. <sighs> and, and, and I have to say, this is one of the things I had figured out pretty early on. I, I from the moment I saw Miranda, I said there's there's something there. And and as we kept going, and as things kept going with her, I was like, no, she's I don't think she's a good guy. And then all of a sudden, he's handing her the keys to Wayne Enterprises. I'm going. Bruce, you're an idiot. 
Yeah. Well, on that note, uh, okay, you want to you want to go back in time to my sealed envelope predictions? Oh yeah, you we should do that. We should do that. Yeah, now's a good time to deal with that because this involves Miranda's character. Okay. You, you want to go ahead and read that or shut up? Okay, so this is uh, – if you remember on the last episode or if you didn't listen, what we did is um, Joseph had some predictions for what would happen in the film. And I asked him, don't you know, I don't want, to be, want it to be a spoiler or, or whatever, but just send it to me. I'll file it away and I'll read it um, after I've seen the movie. And so this is what Joseph sent me before he saw the movie. I think Bane is working for Ra's al Ghul and that Ghul is alive. <clears throat> Excuse me. Fail. Uh, no. <laughs> All right. Continuing on. I I think that there is a small chance he actually died in the first film, but in all likelihood he's alive and coming back to make Bruce's life miserable again. <clears throat> Fail. All right. So next paragraph. If he's not alive, or either way, Bane is working for the League of Shadows. When? He's in Gotham to punish Bruce for stopping the League from destroying the city in Batman Begins. The League wouldn't give up, nor would they let a defector of their own work opposed to uh, – effector. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me reread that. The League wouldn't give up, nor would they let a defector of their own work oppose, oppose them. I think you poorly wrote that sentence. I can't get it to work. <laughs> <laughs> they view yeah. Bruce as their only loose end. Yeah. Yeah. I mean my impression was that uh, the League of Shadows was destroyed, and he just basically started it back up again. Hmm. That was my impression. I don't know how accurate that is. Anyway. If, and you, then, if you go back, though, to the first film and you review the idea of what the League of Shadows represented and you pay attention to what Ra- Ra's al Ghul had confessed the League was responsible for throughout history, I got the impression that if you if you take him at his word about those things, because there's really no question at that time to doubt what, his honesty, then it suggested the, the League of Shadows has been around for several centuries. Oh, sure. And if that's a, if that's the case – a little thing like killing Ra's al Ghul probably isn't going to, you know, make the whole league disband each other and move on. I think that they would have figured out another leader, whether it were Bane or someone else. Hmm. Okay. Well, that, that I mean, that could very well be. Um, but so I, I would have to, I would have to give you a, a, a if we're marking out of a hundred, a fifty. I mean, because you kind of you got fifty percent right and fifty percent wrong. <laughs> And okay, so this this is where it goes into my predictions and my expectations for twists in this film. Right off the bat, one of my bigger disappointments was that I felt pretty good that I predicted this film very well. Uh, something I for, for I failed to mention in the letter to TJ. I'm sorry, was that I had anticipated that Miranda was going to be a part of the League of Shadows is that she was a mystery woman that was bad. It didn't matter what she was doing for the first half of the film. She was going to turn a bad guy. I was hoping that there'd be a little bit more surprise to her, but I, I, I anticipated that before I even saw the film. So Ra's al Ghul is actually dead was the only thing that surprised me and that they kind of introduced Robin, which really isn't necessary to the whole of the film, but they didn't. Uh- I I I think that it okay I agree with the way the film ended it wasn't necessary to the film but if the film had ended the way I wanted it to end it would have been very necessary here's 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 when I started getting into the character of John Blake in the movie I started realizing pretty quickly that one of two things is going to happen one he's Robin and, and and or two 
that he's going to take up the mantle of Batman when Bruce Wayne dies. That's that was what I expected to kind of happen. But but secondarily, I thought, well, it could be Robin. Um, and and it turns out that that he is Robin. But um, well, I don't, I'm not convinced that that he is. Why not? And, and because it was, it was his stated. name. No, 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 no. If you pay attention to the traditional Batman and Robin story, come on, let's get, let's go back to the mythos here. Okay. In the tradi- in the traditional Batman and Robin story. His name is Dick Grayson, and he wasn't a cop. He he was a, a trapeze artist with his parents when he was a boy. They died a lot like Bruce's parents did, yeah, by the hands of criminals. And he gets trained by Batman, Bruce Wayne, and so they fight crime together. Sure. In this version, I'm not he's sure a no cop. one cares, but <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And and frankly, there's actually more than three different versions of Robin in the comic books these days. But in the movie. His name is literally Robin. That is his last name. And he's a cop. He's an older man. He hardly knew Bruce Wayne until later in life. Uh, you know, I feel like because they suggested that he's the guy that learns to fight crime in a particular way thanks to Bruce Wayne, that they left the door open in the manner which they introduced him to the Batcave at the end of the film, that he could, it could be interpreted that he actually did resume the role of Batman. I, I think, though, that the intention was to say this is Robin. I think that was the intention. But why would there be a Robin without a Batman? That doesn't make any sense. Well, as we find out, Batman's alive. We find out he's alive, but he's also retired. Uh, so, he, so he was at the beginning of this film, too. No, we found out that he had retired or retired in a good way with a happy ending with, uh, you know, he got the girl and Alfred saw him eating rice cakes in a foreign country. You mm. know, we saw that he had actually settled down. Mm. The impression that Bruce Wayne had actually moved on was more than insinuated after you think about Alfred's speech. Alfred is saying, I wish that you would have this happy life and you'd leave Gotham and forget about all of her worldly woes, that I would find you in a cafe dining with a woman, obviously your better half and that you're happy. And uh, that that became prophetic. That actually happened because Bruce Wayne went out on, you know, on a limb. He made the effort to make Alfred's dream come true. It, it, the only reason that Bruce would have done that, again, if he is actually at all consistent with his character, is that he was trying to make it clear to Alfred, I really am done. I really am done uh, carrying the load and the burden for Gotham City and fighting crime. Yeah, I mean, maybe. it's suggested because that's what Alfred wanted. Why would Bruce Wayne show up that way at all if he ha- wasn't really settled in his decision to leave Gotham City? So you don't think if some big bad comes back to Gotham and is threatening Gotham, about to wipe it off the face of the earth, that he wouldn't come back and take out the mantle of Batman? You really telling me that you don't know Bruce Wayne that well? I think that Bruce Wayne wouldn't do it if there's another guy already climbing the city you know this the city uh skyscrapers with a batman suit on mm. and that person is going to be mr young robin who is going to be wearing those pointy ears before bruce wayne ever gets back to fight crime alongside of the other batman who already resumed his place i don't know if i agree with you i don't think bruce wayne could stay away if something was threatening gotham um yeah but then again i i think it's suggested by the whole of this particular trilogy that 
uh, all the other villains aside that were never dealt with, <laughs> the only reason that there would be another film is if ultimately the producers said, we're really just in it for the money. And oh, I think that I, I, we're kind of jumping around here. But I, are, but I think that I think it is very likely that the producers are going to look at the money bags and say we're making another film. He's left it wide open for us to do. <laughs> yeah, I I know there will be other Batman films. I don't see them as a part of this trilogy. Or, or I grant you that that's kind of like then it's not a trilogy. But uh, yeah, we can you talk about you that. You don't more see them as part of this Batman universe that Nolan's created. I do not. I don't think that Joseph Gordon-Levitt would come back as the Robin character. I don't see mm. Gary. I don't see Gary Oldman coming back as Commissioner Gordon. Okay. And if you don't have those people, then you essentially don't have the same franchise. You know, Morgan Freeman, who played uh, Matthew Fox, he is Lucius very. Fox. He is very old. Or Lucius Fox, yeah, Lucius Fox. He's very old, and so is Michael Caine. Um, I'm yep. sure they want to make films till the day they die, but Christopher Nolan and the producers will be very much aware that they are. There's not much that they can do with those characters in extremely old actors' bodies. Um, yeah, so yeah, I think that they're limited. Okay. Well, I just, I, I just feel like though it was such a setup. It was weird. It, it, it's kind of like the first Batman where they set it up with a Joker card. I feel yeah. like this was such a setup for more. That it's like, and 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 it was a little disappointing to me because I had heard, uh, and obviously it was wrong. I had heard that that Nolan was basically blowing up the franchise. That this would be the end. There's no way you could make more in this Batman universe that Nolan's created. And I don't see that as the case. Well, you know, after all, no matter what Batman film they come up with as the wrap up of a Batman saga, they're never going to be able to actually eliminate crime. There's never going to be an end to the need to have a hero to help the police to fight crime in Gotham City. Sure. So you can't argue for the basis of another film in the series simply because there's a need for the role of Batman because inevitably – I mean as the – if they were going for instance by comic book mythos, then there's almost always a Batman. There, I mean there will be other Batmans. There will be Nightwings. There will be Red Robins. There will be Robins. There will be those that work – alongside of each other and those that work uh, with the Justice League. And so it gets complicated. Uh, yeah, it does. That's, it does. That's why, that's why ultimately I think that there will be a reboot. And unfortunately, maybe it'll come too soon. And maybe like it did with Spider-Man. <clears throat> yeah. Yeah. I sure <laughs> hope that doesn't happen. Yeah. Okay. Well, here, here was another thing that uh, – here's another thing that I thought was disappointing about the film. You know, we could talk about lots of other people's disappo- disappointments. These were mine and yours. Here, here was one of my others. I felt that the characters as a whole, the individual characters, although this was a well-executed ensemble story, that the characters as a whole weren't as interesting as they were, say, in The Dark Knight and Batman Begins. I agree with that. I agree. And, and, yeah. and that was a bit of a letdown. Mm. I'm sorry, but it's kind of the way it happened in Return of the Jedi. The the characters were just not holding their own as well as a whole over the previous two films. I agree. And this, yeah, so so The Dark Knight Rises suffered from the same shortcoming. Yep. Lastly, and this one is probably one that slipped right under general audiences' noses, that the dialogue wasn't as intriguing – 
or thought-provoking as the dialogue in the previous two films. No. In fact, I, there were several places, and I'm going to get to one in a minute in my list, but there were several places where I felt the dialogue was clunky. Yeah. Actually clunky. It's yeah, like, just well, like is, almost what is like Nolan doing? It needed more work. Yeah. Um, wow. It needed well, to be rewritten. Well, uh, yeah, the cinematography, great. Special effects, great. The music engaging, although not great, but very fun. You didn't like and the music? I did. I thought it was consistent, but perhaps it was just not building on, uh, enough on top of the shoulders mm, of the I love the, the music. I, I thought it was I th- great. I, I enjoy it very much so, but I, I don't find it to be uh, where the other two films were. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, you want to talk about what you were saying about some of those scenes? Yeah, so um- – well, the first thing on my list is how exactly did uh, John Blake know that Bruce was Batman? I, 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 I didn't buy the explanation. It was the weirdest thing ever. Didn't get it. <laughs> didn't get it. Um, I just yeah, it was just crazy. Alfred, Alfred was just uh, he didn't have much to do in this film, and when he was in the film, he was a jerk. I, I that's not Alfred. I, I totally disagree. I, I, I felt like he was a very passionate character in the film. He felt like he was forced into a, between a rock and a hard place because Bruce had been so apathetic for eight years, you know, as a hermit and that he, he took the only road left. Like he said, he said, the only thing I have left that I can possibly do to make you get up and do something is to leave you. But and that's that the was thing. A- Bruce was getting up to do something. And Alfred said, no, you're not, I don't want you to go be Batman. And since you're going to be Batman, I'm leaving. I don't want you to save the city. That's what I found really antithetical to everything we knew about Alfred. Well, Alfred had already introduced several times over that it was more important to him that he protect Bruce Wayne than to actually allow him to resume the role as Batman. And, you know, and the merits of that, you know, could be argued. Uh, Wow. But perhaps, you know, you can interpret that as selfish. I can see that. Yeah, that and that's, was, I, I felt like it was – I felt like it was um, – yeah, it did not put Alfred in a good light, and I didn't like it at all. Um, and that's that's probably the clunkiest dialogue in the movie is his conversation with Bruce in the hallway as he's getting ready to go up the stairs. That dialogue is so poorly executed. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you're right. And, and it, uh, you know, I love Michael Caine. He's a great actor, but not well acted. Well, yeah, I know – Wow. Uh, I mean, yeah, no offense to older actors, but I do think that he it was struggling to fill the part like he did in, say, Batman Begins. He's he's older, and I, I expect it to be more challenging for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, you got to respect his seniority. Yeah, uh, no, but I mean, I, I think he's done a great job. I couldn't ask for a better Alfred, but, you know, that, that scene, for whatever reason, was really weak. And not all Alfreds necessarily have to be elderly men, but in the movies, they generally have been. If you look at the comic books, oftentimes Alfred is a 40-year-old or a 50-year-old. It seems the movies have stuck with people over the age of 60, and uh, perhaps they need to just stay in the 60s. But really, (laughs) I think Michael Caine was already about 70 or close to it when they did Batman Begins. Mm. And now, um, hmm. So, so in conclusion, ah, man, there's so much more that could be said about this film. And, yeah. I, and I'm sure that in passing in many other episodes to come, we'll still be talking about this film. I'm sure we will. It, I, I it, have it, just a couple more things, though. Yeah, go ahead. 
Um, there was too much up and down uh, with Bruce. He's down at the beginning of the film, but then he's back up on his feet. But then Bane breaks him, and he's down again, and then he's back <laughs> up. I, what, what, the, the arc is a little bit messed up here. <laughs> well, yeah, and that in that regard, I think that Christopher Nolan doesn't care about the normal arc of the hero. And it's perhaps he was looking at the three films as a whole of one story. If you look at the arc of Bruce Wayne over course over the course of all three, it, it, it's actually a little bit more consistent with what you would expect the protagonist to be doing. But in isolation, as one film on its own, you're right. He he he. Yeah, he keeps on getting knocked yeah, down. He's a little little too much all over the place. Well, he was uninvolved. Batman and Bruce Wayne was uninvolved in so much of the film. Yeah. Well, and we certainly – and I actually did like this. We got – you know, he, Alfred – he says to Alfred, why are we not giving to the, the Boys Foundation <laughs> or whatever it was? <laughs> yeah. It's like, well, sir, you know, maybe you should get involved in your affairs. <laughs> yeah. uh, so that was, that, was, that was actually good. But yeah, I understand what you mean. And then uh, my next note, are, are, are Gotham police really that dumb that they send every cop except for John Blake and Gordon down into the sewers so they can get – are they really that dumb? That, that that felt a little too contrived. Like like we're doing this because the plot requires it. In that regard, I really don't think that Nolan has a defense. And but if it, but the closest thing to one and one for the audience's sake, if you wanted to rationalize it as a viewer, if you're trying to set aside logic for just a second and just pay attention to what. Bat Batman films in general have done. Even in Nolan's first film, there was a huge plot contrivance. The idea that they had a machine that would spread um, water fumes that would cause everybody to go psychotic and kill each other. Yeah, although somehow I didn't. I bought that a lot easier than this. I I didn't, and the reason being that seventy some percent of everybody's body is made of water, <laughs> but that it would not spontaneously combust when the machine did its thing to mm. drive everybody crazy. I didn't um, even think about that. <laughs> brutal, right? Yeah. No, you're right. You're um, totally right. That that kind of thing happened right under our noses in the Batman Begins film, and most people bought it. In this particular situation. I agree with you. I was disappointed that almost all police went down into the sewer. And, well, and it's such a setup. It's like, what? No, it you, is. You, you, the, the Gotham PD are not that stupid. Come on. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it, is, it, yeah. It was a setup to help the epic along to make a very powerful scene later as all the police fight the rabble sure, together. But, but again, it was done. I, I just don't, I don't like it when a plot <laughs> is contrived because the plot requires it. Yes. I don't like right. that. And, and, and I don't know that it was actually necessary. No, it wasn't. It wasn't. Yeah. I mean, uh, okay. Perhaps it was necessary in the sense that at the time they wanted to trap some cops in the sewer. They wanted the the audience to feel uh, that it was very significant, that it was very bad for the sake of Gotham City's protection, that Bane had really won. And so if they didn't have all the police trapped down there, then they would have felt like, well, then the next scene has to involve how – what happened to all the other cops that were not trapped down there? Mm -hmm. Bane has to go fight them and, and defeat them. Blow them up. Yeah. And yeah, just to make it simpler, they just trap all the police. Yeah, bones. but again, it's a little <laughs> bit disappointing that Nolan would do that. And then yeah. the biggest – perhaps perhaps my biggest disappointment in the movie 
And again, remember what I said earlier. I'm not saying it's a bad movie or that you shouldn't watch it. I just – this is my disappointment. Um, Bane's death was just sort of uh, flippant. Like he's a big bad. He's – you know, you can't defeat him. And Catwoman just blows him up. <laughs> what? 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 And I, I, I literally sat there and I thought to myself, what just happened? <laughs> <laughs> I actually kind of liked it. Mm. Um and, and and perhaps it's because it was the closest thing to a twist that that I was looking for. Like, oh, I didn't expect that to happen. Hey, high five, Christopher Nolan. You just – wait a minute. What did you just do? Yeah. What, you killed what? Bane what? in a very sorry way. What are you doing? Yeah. <laughs> what, what was that? All? I mean it wasn't very epic at all. And and as much as I said earlier, I knew Miranda was a bad guy. And, and it was a, tw- a twist that she was actually the daughter of Ra's al Ghul. I thought that was good. But at the same time – I never really identified with her at all. Like I knew what he was trying to do, but it was like, uh, okay, that, it's just a little strange. Um, yeah, 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 agreed. I, I just I it was thought it strange. was it was way too. Uh, you know how Brave, <laughs> the Pixar movie Brave, haven't seen su- it. The Pixar br- movie Brave suffered from putting a lot of emphasis on female characters that couldn't fill the shoes of a Pixar level of engaging film. Yeah. And perhaps the reason being that for Pixar films to be as exceptional and creative as they have been in the past is because the artists, the the creators, the storytellers, they felt very passionate and very close and intimate with their stories. They were from their hearts. They they were really passionate about creating stories like Wally and Toy Story and The Incredibles and Ratatouille. And that is one of the reasons why they seem to excel because you see that the the filmmakers really cared about them. They were personal. They took those films personally. Whereas with Brave, it seems like many other films by other studios it was produced because they needed to make a movie and where they asked themselves hey we haven't done this before how about we have a lead role with a princess and she's different from other princess movies because you know she likes you know adventures and shooting bows and arrows stuff and you know so this is fun let's make a fun film a a story that's very original mind you but it wasn't personal to the filmmakers. Right. And not I think, the yeah, because it feels like, from what I've heard, again, I can only speak from secondhand knowledge because I haven't seen the film yet, and I probably won't see it in the theater at this point, but um, because I've heard some things about it. But yeah, it feels like they made this film because they, they're always getting the criticism leveled against them. Well, you know, your, your films don't involve strong female characters. They're always about males and blah, blah, blah. And we can go into the politics of all that, and I don't really care to, but. I just I, I just sit there and go, um, hello, who was Helen Parr, Elastigirl? <laughs> she was one yeah. of the greatest. She supported her husband, and she was – I mean she was even a superhero, and she had a big role. What are you talking about? I mean I thought that was great. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I feel like you're probably exactly right. Yeah, there were other significant leading female characters, but none where they tried to put the kind of emphasis on them like they did in this film, where it was like they said, okay, we're going to dedicate some time to the women now. Let's do this thing. And they got it out of the way, and Brave just suffers from not having that kind of intimate passion behind it like the other Pixar films. Yeah. And the reason I say this is because I feel the same way about those parts that pertain to the leading ladies in The Dark Knight Rises. Though very well executed, 
Christopher Nolan doesn't seem as passionate about uh, Miranda in this character. And so though she's a very impassioned character, she has a very significant part to play. It doesn't work as well as other significant characters and their arcs and what has to happen to them. Like the all new um, character of the cop that Joseph Gordon-Levitt played. Mm -hmm. He has to be introduced into this film. He is a side character. He saves some boys on a bus. He protects some cops. Ultimately, he becomes the the you know the mantle is passed down to him from Batman, and yet he wasn't the main protagonist. He takes the back seat in among the the cops. He's always being led as he goes through his story. His his story worked better than Miranda's and better than Catwoman's. I think. I don't know about that. I really liked Cat Catwoman's story, and and I didn't. I mean, I mentioned how good she was. Um, this is well done. I thought Catwoman. Uh, very well done. Oh, by all means. But even so, I felt like there was room for improvement. And a, a, on, on a Christopher Nolan level, mind mm. you, that she was terrific. But I think that Nolan could have d- cooked up something a little bit better. Mm. I, see, I didn't feel that way at all. The final thing on my list, uh, and I've alluded to this, I just I felt a little bit jerked around at the end of the movie. Like emotionally – and, and, oh, and you mentioned, and I should mention this in the show notes or, or in our, our personal notes that we have here, you, you reminded me that I said that I thought Batman would die and I was prepared for that. And, and I was kind of right. <laughs> I'm claiming that. Um, <laughs> it, 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 emotionally, we were there. We were brought there. We were led there. Uh, you know, I, I cried when I thought Batman was dead, when I thought that Bruce Wayne died and it was a noble sacrifice and it was a, a good death. But he wasn't dead. And so I, I felt just a little bit jerked around like, whoa, wait, whoa, what are you doing? You, you brought me here emotionally and now you're whiplash. And I, I, uh, <laughs> I, I felt like I feel like, OK, you know, hate me if you want to, people. I feel like it would have been better if Bruce Wayne had been allowed to be dead. Mm. Yeah, mm. it would have been a lot stronger. I, I think it would have been a lot stronger. But TJ, then. How would they have brought him back to life for the next sequel? <laughs> uh huh. I don't. That's that's another reason why he should have just been allowed to die. Is and the producer can't bring him back. You have to go and reboot the franchise somehow. Um, In some ways, you know, knowing as much as I do about the way filmmaking happens these days, it actually, I have to hand it to you. There's a way in which the film ends in a way where it felt like they could have created two or three alternate versions and then tagged on the one that they thought would work the best for general audiences. You know, grant you Mm -hmm. not how the director may have wanted it, not how the writer may have wanted it. I had to wonder. I had to wonder if a producer stepped in and said, you can't kill Batman. You just can't. I don't know. I I don't know if we'll ever know. We may never know. Yeah, that, that might be one of those film secrets that they hold on to until the 25th anniversary edition comes out on high-def Blu-ray Generation 3 discs or something. Who knows? Yeah. But, you know, I, you're right. It did have have some highs and lows all back-to-back. But uh, my disappointment in the ending was going back to square one. I felt like I predicted a lot about this film going into it, and I never do that. I never make predictions about films. But the reason I did it this time was because of it, it was a Nolan film, and it was fun too. And and while watching a film, I usually can't figure out the ending. I don't try to. 
I usually pay attention to the story and try to live in the moment with the characters and experience the things the way they do. But while watching this film, I felt like, yeah, so where's Nolan going with this next? Ah, well, he did exactly what I expected. Okay, well, then what's going to happen next? Ah, okay, well, that happened too. And then come the end, I didn't really expect Batman to die. And then, yeah, the way it just wrapped up, I was like, um, well, okay, what I don't know what you think, but personally, I think I I find it difficult to sell a climax where a hero has to get rid of a bomb. Why? I I, I it seems. <sighs> It's about removing a threat, but not actually dealing with what brought the brought the bomb into the story in the first place. But I guess by that time, it's true. For the most part, the League of Shadows were the, the you know they had they were running away with their tails between their legs. Uh, you know the various guys and their leaders had been killed, and they they were just you know. Yeah, maybe I didn't feel it because from the moment we got down to what was it 10 minutes left i knew that the only way to get rid of that bomb is for batman to get in his supercopter and take it away yeah i knew that yeah. that's where that was going i knew there was no way on the <sighs> in, in the face of storytelling that they were going to get it back into its cage thing it just wasn't going to happen <laughs> now this is my last complaint and then i and then i just want to say again this is a really fun film, but again, it boils down to that we have high expectations for Christopher Nolan. Uh, my last complaint is that did you notice that throughout the other two films and for the most part this film, they had not really shown the huge body of water that was the ocean beside Gotham City until they needed to get rid of the bomb and then you realize, oh my goodness – Gotham City is on the coast? Okay, well, there there you go. There's your solution. Get rid of the bomb out there. I always thought Gotham was on the coast. See, I never I never got that impression. I saw that there was a body of water, and yeah, in some ways it's similar to New York City, and a lot of people would tell me, duh, Joe, right? You know, it's New York. Of course, it's next to the ocean. But uh, if you actually pay some attention to – well, perhaps I'm just being too picky and choosy, but if I, I if I are. go – if I go back to some of the Batman, thank you. If I go back to some <laughs> of the Batman mythos that I have really appreciated, then Gotham has some characteristics in common with Chicago. And one of those being that it's not next to a massive body of water. Hmm. Um, and, and in other ways, it borrows characteristics from New York. Yeah. So I, we, I always got the impression from from some of the shots in the first movie and just from some of the things that were said that it was near like like think of where they were bringing in stuff in the second uh, in the first movie from uh, for the drugs and stuff for Falcone and stuff. Oh, OK. It serves me right for not having watched the other two films this year. Mm. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that's I, true. I always that, thought it that, was next that, to a big is, body water. OK, well, then. Case closed. That last complaint is no longer existence. Christopher Nolan, thank you. I really enjoyed this film. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, it was a good film. The, oh, I did have minor little things like uh, I wrote down, what's up with Batman's voice? I've wondered that throughout the whole series. Like why when he's wearing the mask? Has he got some sort of electronic device uh, uh, that makes his voice sound, voice sound different? I, we've never no. been told. 
Is, no. Or is he? Or does he? He just talks like this all the time when he's Batman. Yeah. Even when he's yeah. talking, when he gets back to yeah. the Batcave and he's talking to what's his name, he still sounds like that. <laughs> Did you ever watch the uh, the comical video on College Humor where they make fun of his voice? I I think I have. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that that reminds me of that. <laughs> oh, and, and the worst the worst part he he's done it in a I think in two of the movies, but in this movie he's like, "Where is it?" I'm like, "Oh, come on! Can't you do better dialogue than that?" <laughs> yes, I agree. Uh, and then the the, all, the other thing I wrote down was, uh, "Why are we seeing Scarecrow again? I mean, surely the guy's dead." <laughs> no, no, he, it was awesome. Yeah, it was kind of fun. <laughs> oh, oh! I never understood what was up with Bane's mask. Somehow, I didn't quite understand what that was. What what the deal was? Oh, I, I want to mention one other thing though about I, I can actually tell you, but uh, one other thing about the Scarecrow was his. Uh, he, the reason he's not dead is because traditionally in the Batman stories, none of the supervillains were ever served capital punishment. They were usually locked up in Arkham. With life sentences, and sometimes it was because Batman had made testimony that he that was the way he felt inclined that mm. Commissioner Gordon should leave the case because he didn't believe in capital punishment. Yeah. And sometimes it was because in other stories, it was staged that well, Batman was okay with capital punishment, but Gotham was so liberal that they were not in favor of capital punishment in any regard, no matter how terrible these villains were. So they would just let them live in prison. And so the, it presumably, yeah, uh, the Scarecrow has just been in prison all these years. Yeah, good point. Well, of course, although he was out in The Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, because he was in prison. <laughs> no, but he was out. He was out dealing drugs. Oh. oh I'm sorry. Right. I'm sorry. No, in The I'm Dark s- Knight. I, I said The Dark Knight Rises. See, I did it. It's the, in The Dark Knight. At the beginning of The Dark Knight, he was out dealing drugs. Ah, oh, that's right. Okay, well, in that regard, okay, you're right. And he he has a very small role in that film. My guess is that to explain that one away, that it was just one of the many instances that supervillains in Arkham's Asylum escaped, and Batman had to go wrangle them up again. Mm, yeah, you would think the guy would believe in capital punishment. <laughs> I know. In case yeah. of Bane's mask, traditionally there's like again because there's too many different alternate universes involving superheroes these days. There's well, not one story to tell at all. I want I want to hear what you have to say about this, but my here, my gripe is I feel like they tried okay. to explain it in the movie and I didn't get it. <laughs> okay, well what was, what do you think they were saying in the film? I don't know. <laughs> I have no idea. Okay, my wife with me, her impression from the film was that the it, it, they gave the audience the impression that he was mutilated in the prison by other people, prisoners, because he caused a fuss when he was protecting Miranda as a little girl. Mm-hmm. And he fought back so harshly, the prisoners riled up against him, and they duked it out with him and they beat him up really bad. And for whatever reason, the prisoners marred his mouth. <laughs> that doesn't, this doesn't make sense why you still need to wear a mask though. And why it's painful but, to take it off. Uh, hey, uh, uh, probably because we didn't want to see the Joker's face all over again. Yeah. Uh, I, I guess maybe that's one thing. Maybe, maybe Christopher Nolan just has a, a penchant for marred mouths characters. Um. Uh, but yeah, is it penchant or pungent? Penchant. Penchant. Thank you. He has a penchant for marred mouths. 
But the Bane character, that was my wife's impression. Okay, he has to have that on to help him maybe breathe or maybe to help keep his mouth together. (laughs) Um, If you go back to the comic books, traditionally Bane used steroids. Hmm. In some of those stories, he was – he would get the – like an inhaler for the steroids so that he would get a continuous dose just breathing in. So presumably he may have like a capsule – built into that respirator type deal and he would be breathing in fresh fresh oxygen and steroids all the time, which would explain why he is so much bigger and bulkier than most of the other League of Shadows uh, villains. Yeah. Well, he said at the beginning of the movie that the guy asked, what if we took that mask off? Would it kill you? And he said it would be very painful. Um, So you get the impression, at least in Nolan's version, there's something more going on there. I think that probably the, the best idea I came up with, and I don't know if this is actually what's going on. My theory is, is that his mouth really is messed up, but for whatever reason, it's very painful. You know how George Washington, right? You know, his, his teeth were so messed up his most of his life that it was extremely painful for George Washington. Most of his life. Hmm, I didn't know that. Uh, Oh yeah. And if you, and you know, it, you know, people, their mouths, they can be quite painful if they get messed up. So my theory is that, his mouth was somehow mutilated and because he still wants to talk and eat and breathe that uh, his respirator is actually dulling his pain and dulling his senses in the, you know, the pain regard. Mm. Um, And also besides that, it just looks cool. I mean, it's like the whole Darth (laughs) Vader. It's it's just the whole Darth Vader helmet thing. Yeah. (laughs) Who wants to to see a pale, old, crusty, uh, you know, Anakin Skywalker in a black suit? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Who wants to see the helmet? (laughs) Yep. Well, we really need to wrap this up. I think we're exceeding our mandate to keep it under an hour, (laughs) 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 which I I figured was going to happen because there's so much to talk about. And there's articles like shared. We talked about these articles before we actually started the recording proper and uh, we didn't get to them. Uh, Maybe I'll put them in the show notes, but they were um, like there was this. uh, uh, Oh, here's that article I was looking for earlier. The Dark Knight Rises Above Ice Age and Spider-Man. Dark Knight, 160.9 million, at least at the time of the writing of this article. Um, Ice Age, 20.4 million. Amazing Spider-Man, 10.9. So, um, there you go. And Brave only made 6 million, so people really didn't like it, apparently. Mm, so, ouch. anyway, that, that will be in the, uh, show notes. Um, yeah, there was a couple other, uh, articles, which I'll put in the, I'll go ahead and put in the show notes, but some, it was like, uh, what was it? 15 things that bothered us about The Dark Knight Rises. And I agreed with some of them, most of, you know, like at the beginning, they did better as they, they started stretching as they went on until it was like, okay, seriously, who cares? <laughs> uh, wow. so, but some of them were things that I actually talked about in the show too. So uh, you mentioned Brave. I just really, I want to really quick uh, mention that they're, uh, I know I know that this is neither here nor there, but because you, you mentioned it, I have to say uh, the budget was one hundred and eighty five million and current gross is uh, one hundred and ninety six million. OK, so it's successful. Well, in terms of gross. Yeah, in terms of gross. Yeah. So, yeah. But uh, I, I think I think the numbers I'm looking at here, this is on uh, uh, film dot com. Uh, I think the numbers were for opening weekend, perhaps. Mm. So, um Anyway, okay, yeah, all right. Yeah, yeah. What you were saying about those articles. Yeah, those will be in the show notes, like uh, the 15 things that bother us about The Dark Knight. They started reaching, but some of them were good, and some of them I agreed with and talked about in the show. And yeah, then there I were too. there were uh, uh, holy plot holes, Batman. Nine logical gripes of The Dark Knight Rises, obviously alluding back to uh, the 60s Batman. Uh, holy plot holes. But um, 
yeah, the, the, there were some good things in that too, and then some not some like, huh, uh, you know. <laughs> so anyway, yeah, uh, I'll put those in the show notes just for your edification uh, audience. But uh, we really need to uh, wrap this up. So thank you so much, TJ. I had a lot of fun discussing the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, and uh, hey, we'll see what we cook up for next week's episode. I think we. The sky's the limit now. We yeah, got through we, Batman. We have no idea what we're going to talk about, so we'll we'll think of it between now and next week. And uh, so, Joseph, where can people find you on these uh, great big interwebs? Yes, find me on Twitter. My uh, name is at Joseph Darnell, and you can also find me at Facebook, Facebook dot com forward slash Joseph Darnell. And my personal site is jivingjackalope dot com. Right. And I'm uh, TJ Draper Pro on Twitter. Uh, Facebook is also uh, TJ Draper. And uh, I have a website, buzzingpixel.com. And uh, hopefully very soon we're putting the finishing touches on moviebyte.com and you'll actually be able to go there and get more than the podcast. So uh, yes, we're excited about that. Yes, we're very excited about that. Well, Joseph, I hope you have a good week and uh, hopefully we'll get the site launched and you and I can start writing stuff for it. Thanks, TJ. You have a good night. All right, you too.